you guys saw what happened last week with Jake Elliott. Fifty-nine yard field goal in the rain, tie the game. Before that, I was a kicker hater. Now I'm a kicker lover. Wow! wow. Recently week? flipped. Let's Ooh. go! Wow. To the Half and Half Club podcast, episode twenty-four, boys. That's a, that's a good Let's number. Go. Got a uh, Kobe Bryant. You know, Kobe Bryant. Uh, second number. Two more until one. we have um, an episode for six months of the year. It's wow. kind of big. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. A little Dang. round of applause. A little round of applause. Yeah, yeah for yeah, ourselves. Yeah. For there ourselves. Go. Let's go. Uh, we got a special guest on today. One Mister Jake Forth, uh, a man of many interests. Uh, a football referee in his uh, spare time with some big ambitions, as I understand, which we'll get into a little bit here on the pod. Um, also, uh, a bit of a fitness junkie. Do some talking about that. So, Jake, welcome to the pod. Excited to have you on. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Looking forward to it. Ryan, I think you have a, a special way you want to kick this one off. We've, we've got a smattering of questions for our friend Jake here about uh, the... The rulings of uh, certain football plays. Kick we do. Off. And I'll, I'll start by saying, excited that you are a football referee. Never really met one, someone like our age that's trying to do it. So before I get into this, what can I ask what level you've been um, refing at um, recently, this past year? Yeah, sure. So this will be my third year, just wrapped up for the season. So I'm all done now. Um, it's been mainly high school, JV, um, varsity, mostly varsity games. Uh, broke into the college kind of scene this year. Did a couple JUCO games. No way. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Damn. But, you know, started from the bottom two years ago. I was doing flag football with four- and five-year-olds running on the field, <laughs> pulling yeah. flags, crying whenever they fell over. Um, so it's been a journey, man, but it's good. It's fun. I like it. Can we put that in perspective a little bit for the listener, and even for us too? I, I'm not really aware outside of some general conversation we had, but what does the timeline look like? These guys we see on TV who are ref in the NFL, you know, how much time have they put in to get where they're going, and and what's you know the the typical timeline look like for someone who has, you know, those kind of ambitions rising up through the ranks and starting at the bottom? Yeah, sure. So to get to that that league, you're talking twenty to twenty five years of just experience doing games. Um, it's a very slow path to the top. Uh, you got to do like what I did. You start from doing flag football games, go to varsity. You get lucky enough, you re- meet the right people. You get to the college level. Um, you start at D3, D- D2. You'll be there for five or ten years. If you're good enough, you'll get to the ACC, SEC, more of a D1 school um, or conference. Do that for five or ten years. Um, and then if you're good enough, you get to the NFL. So it's it's a pretty slow path, but once you get there, you're you're pretty much set. So really, they want to see you be consistently good at high end football games for a long time before they put you in the NFL. So you you need to see like every single situation that could possibly be thrown your mm-hmm. way, right. and like relate it to different situations because you're not on the couch like thinking about the ruling, um, you know, looking back at replays. You need to make a decision like right then and there. Like, for an example, a, a game-changing play where you could have a quarterback throwing the ball. Is it a fumble? Is it a forward pass? I'm not sure. 
Um, but I did a game five years ago. I looked at the tape. I ruled it a fumble. It was the right call. Um, but the downside is if you make the wrong call there and you make it's an incomplete pass and it was really a fumble, even if you go to replay, that's not something that can be reversed. So you have a really big impact on the game and you need to get it right the mm. first time. Is that all part of an interview process to, to, when, when someone's selecting for, you know, the, the next level or, you know, call a college conference say, is that something that they'd go through and ask you, like, have you seen this situation, this situation? And you have to relay back, like, I experienced that one time in a game. Here's my process for thinking about it. Is that how they do it? Or is there some kind of more complex way that they determine, you know, this person has seen, you know, this long list of situations that we're looking to see. So it's not so much like a checklist, like this guy has seen, um, you know, we, we just watched a video from 2014, a controversial catch. This guy has seen something like this and he's reacted this way. That was the right way to go. It's more of you have an evaluator. They look at different situations throughout the game. Uh, how you handled it, how you ruled on it, how you communicated it to the head referee, mm. um, those kind of things. So it's kind of just a, just seeing what the challenges popped up during the game, how you handled them, and that's how you kind of get graded. And this evaluator, you said like they're at the they're at the games, even like the pee wee flag football games and stuff, or not maybe not the pee wee <laughs> flag football games, but um, and they're not at every single high school game. At every, uh, I was evaluated maybe two or three times this year during the regular season. And then I got evaluated for the, the playoff game that I did. Huh. Um, but once you get to the college level, you get evaluated every single play. They have different camera angles of like every single play looking right at you. Is that um, someone who's kind of like a, a part of the refereeing crew? You'd have, you know, your head referee and, you know, however many uh, sideline judge and all that. And then is there an evaluator that's assigned to the crews or does that, is that kind of like an independent person? So you either have an evaluator who's there, who's walking around the field, or he's in the press box, or you can have like a, a someone huh. who's doing it remotely from the different angles. And if you do, um, if you make a penalty call in the game, it goes on a report, and that automatically mm -hmm. gets reviewed um, on tape to see if you made the right call and kind of how fast you processed everything, got it to the referee, and got the next play going. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Here. Yeah, there's I love this. This is this is great. Maybe maybe we aren't giving these guys enough credit. Yeah. No, it's it seems like a very hard job, especially like, you know, everything seems like it wouldn't be so bad or it'd be a lot easier until you're in the situation. And then so many things happen so fast. And not only do you have to understand what happened, you have to articulate it, communicate it, and then, you know, make sure that you're right. Because, I mean, how many I've, I've watched so many baseball games where I'm like ball strike, ball strike. And then one time I umpired a 10 year old game. And there's so many borderline ball strike calls, and I felt so dumb. And the but it, it, just being with the hat on in the game, yeah. making the calls, it's completely different. The expectation from the fan or the viewer too is is 100% accurate. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not like there's there's no recognition that this is a very hard job, and you're probably going to get you know 75, 80 percent of it right. It's the expectation is 100 percent, like you don't mess up. And there's no thanks for the calls you do get right. Hmm. It's once again. Nope. So, so how how difficult is it? Uh, Jake, when, when you're on the field, cause you must feel so much external pressure from, you know, some coaches are really loud. If you're at the home stadium and you make a call against the home team, you know, the whole, the whole crowd is chanting, you know, it's sometimes even F you ref or something like that. I've, I've heard how difficult is it to kind of block that out mentally and be able to focus on being objective about the calls you have to make. Yeah. So you, you can't bring any ego to the game at all. Um, you're there to officiate a game, uh, fairly. You're not sided one way or the other 
Um, and at the end of the day, they're not mad at you. They're mad at the uniform. As soon as you get off the field and start talking to them, you know, they're not going to treat you any differently. But um, my position is head linesman, so that's right on the sidelines. So I get mm. I get a lot of that talk. Coaches are right on top of me mm-hmm. um, the majority of the time. Um, and sometimes, you know, I try to be uh, as friendly um, with the coaches as I can and try to communicate as best as I can. But sometimes – I can't sit there and have a five-minute conversation about a call that was just made on the field. Like, I got another play coming up. Um, but Do you just ignore them? I see that all the time. Sometimes, the co- sometimes yeah, you have. They're just yelling in their face, and they're just they're – just yeah, What, is, what are they expecting to get it's out so of that? Difficult. Like an I'm sorry from the ref? I don't think they, they want an I'm sorry. I think the, the only way I can see it is, you know, playing rugby, the referee is on the field where you know where the players are. The coach doesn't really have a lot of influence on them because they're so far away. But you'll make – you know, you'll you'll try to make comments to the referee, even though you know they're not going to reverse their call, just to kind of sway them and make them think that they've been biased against you in some way. You're you're hoping mm. to get a catch up call, mm. right. I think, yeah. later on. Yeah. Yep. Um. Or you know, you're not, I don't know. Sometimes you're just angry and you're trying to make them feel like an idiot, which and is not you know. Not at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not trying to throw a flag on them. So I'm trying to talk to the players as much as I can. Um. Mm. If I see the good stuff, good block there. Um, you know, nice catch, nice tackle, whatever, just to get my, my voice in the, you know, in the players' heads to make my presence known. If I see something that's borderline holding borderline pass interference, I'm like, Hey man, like that was, that was borderline. Like watch the tugs on the Jersey. Um, that's a good ref. You know, that's just, a good ref. Cause I, it, when I played football, like if someone mentioned that to me, like I, I would want to know that before I got a penalty for it, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, that's a good. Ref. Plus if you like say that. the positive stuff first. Right, they hear it. Right, they listen to it. They start to like you. Then you can bring. You on feel the like they're part of the game that. too, instead of just someone who's trying to throw a flag on you. Exactly. Well, I, yeah. I think that's kind of what you're doing, and, and maybe this is one of the reasons you're attracted to it, Jake, is that you do kind of have that influence on the game, and ideally, it's a pretty silent influence, at least to the to the viewer, you know, because you don't want to be throwing those flags. So if you're giving out those messages of like, hey, you know, you're close here, watch this, you're able to prevent some of that and create a really free flowing good you know penalty free football game that's a good you know uh a good watch for the viewer is that is that do you almost the the way i view refereeing sometimes and what i feel like people must be attracted to is you know um when there's a band and there's that guy that stands in the front what does he call the conductor mm-hmm. who he's kind of he's kind of pulling all the strings and telling the band how to play I almost feel like referees must kind of feel like they have like that kind of influence overarching on the game to just let it let it play out and and show its beauty. Is that something you feel? Yeah, at the end of the day, I if I have a game where I throw zero flags, I'm fine with that. I really am. Um, you know, and flags that's where things get messed up. It's cuz there's a lot of different rules uh as far as penalty enforcement, like where the flag was, mm. where the penalty was, where the run ended you have different enforcement. Um, Like, for example, if in high school, if you have a penalty that's behind the line of scrimmage, but the ball ends up um, ahead of the line of scrimmage, you enforce it from the line of scrimmage. If you have a penalty that's beyond the line of scrimmage and the play ends beyond the line of scrimmage but behind the flag, then you uh, enforce the flag from uh, from where the run ended. So there's... I, I would rather not try to test my brain. Uh, I'd rather just like <laughs> get the ball, yeah. mark it, and then get the next play going. Um, but sometimes you got to make those calls, and it's it's what you get paid to do. So you're headlinesman, is that what you said? That's right. So part of your crew, I don't 
Now, do you ever rotate or do you always in the same spot? Uh, so it depends. So in high school, the headlines is in charge of the chain crew. So okay. I got a crew of uh, four people that are with me um, running the chains. It's usually dads or, right. um, you know, players that are on JV run the chains. So you have to teach them, uh, make sure they're doing everything correctly, kind of micromanage them a little bit. Uh, so because of that, in high school, you'll stay in the same spot. Hmm. Now in college, the crew increases from five people to eight people. So you have two people on each sideline now instead of just one. Um, so at halftime, uh, the chains will switch mm-hmm. and they'll go to the other sideline. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. And, and your position in the in the crew, is that something that you kind of decide pretty early on? And if you want to move up through the ranks, it's very beneficial to to keep that consistent or is the preference that you've kind of seen the game from a lot of different angles? How do, how do the, you know, recruiters for those higher levels look at that? You know, it all depends. If you're good at your position, you'll, you'll advance. Um, you know, one day I do want to be like the white hat, like the head guy in charge. Yeah. Um, what I've seen is a lot of guys that have gone to that position are either umpires, which is the big dude in the middle or the head linesman. So, the umpire, he's he's is he behind the linebackers usually. He's behind the linebackers, mm-hmm. okay. so he he interacts with the with the referee probably more than anybody else on the field. Uh, my side is it's complicated because I have a chain crew, so it's almost like I'm a crew, but I have a crew. Um, plus, I like it because I'm always doing something. I'm always checking the chains, making sure the ball's in the right spot, making sure the chains aren't moving too early. Um, so it keeps me pretty involved like throughout the game so are you like watching like because your position are you like watching the game intently like are you kind of almost like focused on other aspects that you know maybe you're staring almost like at the ground or something i don't know like are you like are you watching the game still i guess so you you bring up one of the hardest things that a a, a official has to learn is to not watch the game whoa Hmm. Do you have a do you have a like a pre snap routine like do you yep. if I'm just off walk, the walk top of my it. head yeah uh, yeah walk <laughs> us through it. I'm gonna can I can I take a guess what it is before yeah you do yeah. It? yeah all right if I'm I make sure which this, which are you head lineman you're head you're in yeah, my yeah, position so you're I'm, you're okay. down the line you're, you're on, on the sideline right line so I yeah. make sure that you know center doesn't move the ball forward. I'd look at Wait, make sure you got a lot of stuff you got to do before that. Oh fuck! God well, let's it. let's let let's let it finish. Let's let so it so let's see how Don't many pieces of it I can get. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, let's see the yeah. Let's say center doesn't move the ball forward whenever they but let's let's make sure that you know there's seven guys on the line on offense. Okay. Um, you know outside guy make sure he's on, make sure he's no one's covering it up, um, no one's lined over of the ball, and then I don't know after that. What do you got? You could you could do it, you should you should try it. Look at that! Know, like, he's like he's like halfway through the routine. Well, all right. Well, what, what's your routine? What do you got? So it depends on the down too. Okay. So oh, kick yeah. off. Okay. I'm the headlinesman. So let's say we got to <laughs> miss the down. <laughs> say, so we got to kick off right. It ends at the 25. Okay. Right? Yeah. I got to get my chain crew set up at the 25. Okay. Um, and I got to get the other guy lined up at the 35. Hmm. Then, uh, it all depends too in the level. But at the headlinesman position, you count defense. You want to make sure they don't have 12. Mm. You make sure oh, have, you look at defense. You count defense. Wow. I'm part of the referee count offense. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So count 11 on defense. And then it doesn't have to be seven players on the line, just no more than four in the backfield. Because you could have like a stacked formation where a bunch of people are just on the line. True. But they're covered up. Gotcha. So 
And then there's different hand signals, too, if you want to have someone's covered up. So if I have a wide receiver on my side who's on the line, yep. and you have a tight end that's also on the line, mm-hmm. that tight end's covered up. Right. I got to do a signal um, to the linesman and then also the back judge to let them know that that receiver is ineligible. Oh, so you signal to them so they can look for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So if he catches the ball downfield. In case field, he goes out for a pass or something. Flag. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then, um, then you're reading the tackle. If okay. you are, if he drives forward the snap, mm. you know it's a run play. Gotcha. And you try to look for the lead blocker if it's at your side. You don't look at the runner. Right. Because the runner is not threatened. You want to look at the blocks ahead of the runner. Right. So that's where it comes back to this point. You're not watching the game. You're watching where the penalties could be. It's the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really obvious on film because you have a hat and that's pointing directly where you're looking. So it's really easy to spot when you're ball watching and not wow. focusing on what you're looking at. Good point. Hmm. And that would be something that would get called out. Mm-hmm. Did you get that called out early on in your career? All the time. Oh, especially on punts too. I would like look straight up in the air and look at the punt. And I'm missing a hole that's like right in front of me. <laughs> oh no, that's got to be kind of embarrassing to see on film. It's tough. There. It's tough, man. But wow. it's it's easy to train yourself out of. Um, so you, you 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 third year just surpassed it, and you've risen through the ranks a good amount. You know, started off with flag football. You did your first JUCO game this year. Yeah. What? Um, how long ago? Like what? What week in the football season did you do that? Uh, week, week six is in October. Were you nervous? End of October. Oh yeah. How did how did how did Central Piedmont or what? Uh, it was a school over in Laurenburg, North Carolina. I did the same school twice. It's I can't think of the name right now. How did you get the opportunity? How how did this come about? Um, it just honestly officiating is. Word of mouth, if you did good, really? and it gets wow. to the I can imagine commissioner. a lot of networking and all that, too. I mean, our, commi- our association is huge. Like, we have the whole Charlotte area, and for the commissioner to get to everyone's game is, it's tough. So, it's a lot of, I mean, just like anything, it's networking. I'd assume there's a lot of guys who kind of promote themselves, too, and make it known that, hey, I want, you know, more opportunity to rise to the ranks, where there's probably a lot of guys who are just... You know, I want to I want to do high school football games on a Friday night. That's you know as far as I ever want to take it. You know, I, it's just something I enjoy, and I don't want the commitment level. Is that something that plays into it as well? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty obvious who wants to stay, kind of where they're at, yeah. and it's obvious mm-hmm. who wants to progress through the ranks. But at the same time, it's it's really important to stay humble. It's just like corporate America. You don't want to rub people the wrong way and just say, mm. hey, like this level is. I could see it especially. It's, yeah, it I'm like supposed to be somewhere be. else above this, so. Mm-hmm. Sensitive um, to hierarchy and yeah, yeah. I mean, you have guys that are trying to break college, and they've been doing it for like ten years. So you got to wow. be, yeah, um, you know, pretty cognizant of that. So one more prog- progression question for you. I I do want to turn it over to Alex. He's been firing notes away and is, is oh, no, no, kind of nervous for his question. Hands over there. Good. Um, <laughs> but you know, you said ultimately you want to be a white hat. You want to be head, head referee. As you're progressing through the levels. Is that not something that you have to kind of do at the lower levels to just get to be like a head linesman? Let, let's say let's say you want to go to the ACC and you want to start out as a head linesman. Are you working your way through high school and are you getting all the way up to that white hat in high school to show that you've worked your way up to there and then they give you the opportunity? Or, or, or what would the process be? So it depends what you want to do. Like we have people in our association who will white hat a high school game and then go do headlinesman or back judge for mm-hmm. college. If you have an interest to do a white hat someday, you know, you're more than welcome to it. Or if you want to get more reps at the same position at the high school level before you go 
on a set. Like we have guys that yeah. will do a Friday night game until like 11 p.m. and then they'll drive directly to the college game. So it's not a, it's not a prerequisite to be a white hat at a lower level just to get up to that I, next level. You could be a headlinesman your entire career. Kind I of. think if you did want to be a white hat at the college level, you can't just do really good in high school and then be a, like a headlinesman in college and then your first white hat experience is in college. I think high school would have to be the first. So the way situation to go. would probably be you work your way up to college in a non-white hat position and then once you're kind of in that college you know, conversation. You've got some college time under your belt. You kind of go back down to do your to mm-hmm. to do your head referee. That's time that's at, the way I see it. Um, but it's you know a lot of this. I've been trying to find out the stuff as I go. Yeah. Um, progressing through the ranks to be a official at D one college. Yeah. It's not on Google yeah. or anything. So I think it all just depends on your journey, I feel like, like where it's you not end talked up. about at all, guys. I think half and half club. Pod has secured quite the find here. I don't, I don't think well, I know. I don't I, think there's this level of, to, of, of insight into refereeing as, as we're delivering right now. <laughs> Alex, years, what do you got, man? Fire yeah. away. Two years ago, I really looked into this. I thought did about you? doing it. Yeah, really. I did. I was I was close. You should. Well, that's there's how, like a that's huge how you shortage. got halfway to the to the checkdowns. But <laughs> <laughs> I could see I could see Ryan doing this too. So that's checkdowns. Funny. I see what you did there. All right, Alex. Um, what do you got? All right, so I got I got a couple questions, and then maybe maybe I can talk a couple scenarios. That you haven't heard before. Well, you probably know them, but um, okay. maybe not. I, and maybe, maybe you guys see if we can stump too. Um, but first question, um, kind of a little bit different. But one thing when we're watching games, especially when it comes to first down lines, I always am thinking, do we do we not have technology to solve this? Like, what is it? Why do we stick with mm. the old? ball and chain versus using some sort of like technological solution to determine if it's actually a first down or not. Is there, do you think that's going to get passed off? Like, do you think, or do you think there's a human element to the game that like we just enjoy so much? Or do you think technology? You mean with like using chains? Is that what you're or, talking about? Or, yeah, sorry. Using, I guess I using say, chains versus having a chip in the ball that says, here's the final spot. Well, it depends where, when your knee's down. It doesn't depend when the ball stops. True, but I guess, well, you could, uh, all right, let's let's let Jake answer. Let's yeah, let yeah, Jake yeah. Answer. Like, do you think technology will someday eliminate the need for refs? Maybe. Man, I I don't think refs are going anywhere anytime soon, unless unless we can do it virtually with different camera angles. Maybe you don't need mm. an official in person. Maybe I can officiate a game from my living room. I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy that as much as being in person, yeah. but I could see that happening. First down lines, that's an interesting point um, because one of the biggest risks is if you have a run on the sidelines, your chain crew gets knocked over. All of a sudden, you have to put the chains in the same exact spot hmm. that they were before everyone fell down. Hmm. So I do think electronic chains, electric line to gain is coming, but at the same time, I don't know how that's going to work. Because at the NFL level, you have people all over the sideline. I, it's like you have to stick like a pylon or something, almost like a pylon right. camera, and it points across like a laser or something like that. But um, very interesting question that yeah. I had not even thought of. Like, That's all. why I had to write I, down. I did see an article <laughs> on this um, years ago, actually. And I wish I could, mm. I wish I could give you the synopsis. We'll have to look it up after yeah. and maybe share it around. Um, cause they, they had a pretty good rationale. Uh, the article was basically like, we have the technology to put chips in the balls 
um, you know, we could we have lasers we could use, especially at the NFL level. I, I think it would take a long time for that kind yeah. of technology to get all the way down to high school or you know lower than that. Um, but they they had a good reason for uh, for and why why the human element of it is yeah part is, of the game. And honestly, even like for baseball particularly, I feel like. Oh yeah, call the strike, strike zone. The strike zone. I'm like so that should be like. There's even a screen after the ball. Like when you're watching TV, it'll show if it's a ball or strike. Dude, I will say though, I'll say this. For baseball, it all determines where the ball crosses the plate, and sometimes I don't know how accurate they, like, the lasers are at that. Mm. And oh, you would come be on, no, 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 dude. dumb. And I'll you're say telling this. me we can't get technology. <laughs> it, the, Listen, the level of money that goes through MLB, and we, also you're saying we can't have. Have the you ever have, have you sensors. ever sat have you ever sat in the front row or been or ever seen a 92 mile an hour fastball come at you? It moves. No. It moves well, so much. Like well, so yeah. okay, okay. So you're no, no, saying no, no, no. Like so human what I'm saying eye, is I like I like the human be aspect than, of it. I like the human aspect of it. I do too. Like I it's do fun. Too. And maybe that's maybe that's the answer. Right, right. But I think what Dom's saying is. Yeah, that's more the point. What you just said—if it's coming at ninety-two miles per hour—why are we trusting the, the human the, eye to do it? Which no, is, or absolutely. the ball is like an inch. We know before how bad the, the human, line, and you're like, you know, it's like the human almost could be determining the, a game. The fact when it could that be it's so difficult course. to hit that ball highlights how difficult it is to see the ball. And if all of the people 100%. who have the elite enough vision to actually hit the ball are playing in the MLB, then whoever's reffing it is not good enough to see it cross the plane. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> back to football. Alex, anyway, I don't know. I, I, I do think yeah. like oh. the Wimbledon thing that they have where you know the replay where oh, the ball yeah. is oh, down the line. Oh, yeah. I think that would be cool in football. There's got to mm-hmm. be a way to do that. That would be. Interesting. For like a I've always game. wondered how the hell tennis does that. Because they're like, oh, the shade part is on the line. It's in. Like, How do they know? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I don't know. Well, that's that's a good call. Um also one more thing, training. Do you uh what's the training like for being a ref? Do you have any requirements for that right now? Like as in like sorry, uh, physical training, I should say. Like is there fitness tests or requirements? I think there probably I would assume there has to be, right? There is not for high school. And if uh-huh. you look at some of these guys that are out there, you can tell. <laughs> We've seen them. Do yeah. you do you throw a flag with your right or left hand? Right, always. Okay. All right, always. Okay. You've got to be deadly accurate with that spot because mm. that's where the penalty gets enforced from. Do you remember your first oh. flag? Wait, really? Do I remember my first flag? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a block in the back. Ooh, block in the back. <laughs> on a on a punt kickoff. It was not a kickoff. It was on a screen pass. The corner was coming back and. The receiver didn't get in front of him, mm. blocked him in the back, pushed him over, and that, the coach didn't argue with me. So. Were you scared? Oh, yeah. Pull. I was shaking when I threw that flag. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, went to the, I went to the referee. He's like, what you got? And I just couldn't talk for like five seconds. He's like, what do you have? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dude, he won't And look at you now. I know. Out there That's throwing flags awesome. at the community college level. I know. Well... well if you got that call right, let's see if you can get these three. Oh, okay. Boy. Let's go. Segway. All right. Here we oh, go. Wait, wait. Real quick. As Alex rattles these off, should we alternate me and Ryan trying to answer before? Oh, okay. Totally. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, totally want to hear you guys' yeah. answers, too. Um, Just to see how How are we going to know I'm right? Like, you want to say it first before or do you want to say know. it after? I'd say they, they do it first. All okay. right. Say it, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, you'll... you'll yeah. Okay. Dom and I will. Yeah. 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 And then All just, right, just it's it's like you know how people always want to put a regular person in the Olympics just to see how pros, <laughs> pros, yeah, pros versus are. Joe's. Here that, we go. That's Dom. the equivalent for the pod right now. Is is <laughs> definitely asking Dom these these and. All right. So, 
what happens if the ball in a regular play is snapped under the QB's legs and a defensive player touches it first? What is the outcome or penalty? Should I, should I take this one, Ryan, or do you want it? Well, I feel like there should we, be more facts. Can we do more context? Like, yeah, there like need what? more factors. Um, okay, it's the – let's say it's just like a regular pass play and the ball is snapped, but the quarterback does not maintain possession, but it goes under his legs. Under his legs is the key differentiator here? Yes. And the defender touches it or gains and possession? The defender, yeah, the defender somehow gets around and jumps on the ball or runs with it. Picks it so, up and runs. So, with so it. they it's gain possession. Ball. It's a live ball, right? If it's snapped, the play. My thought is, yeah, it's a fumble. I think it's fumble. The snap, and well, if recovery. it's snapped, the play has started. Yeah, if they t- it's a live ball. All right, my my vote is fumble and recovery by the defense at uh, the spot or where it ends up afterwards. Wherever they touch the ball. Okay. Uh, I think wherever it ends up, if they scoop it, they can. Okay, score scoop it. and score. What do you think? Yeah, they're right. So get this. Uh, Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, under geez. the QB's legs. Oh, God. It is a false start, no matter who touches it, even the defense, except for the quarterback. If the quarterback touches it next, it's a live ball. So if the quarterback doesn't touch it and it goes under his legs, it's a false start if anyone on the field touches it. So it's the same thing as a shotgun snap, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So are you saying that the the, the yeah. where are you getting this? Are you saying that the center snapped it? Or the center snapped it, but no one else moved. Is that what is you're the saying? Court, no, the, everyone everyone moved, and it just is the, quarterback the quarterback under didn't center? maintain control. It's he a didn't live touch ball, it. He missed man. It. Is the quarterback under center? I think this scenario, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's. That, sorry, under center makes more sense because shotgun formation is probably. Oh, so you're saying that the act of snapping the ball is a false start, right? I well, if everyone else does moves. that have any legs, Jake? Is Alex is Alex just way off? Do we need to call? We can Gene? look this up. We can look this up. Do we need to call Gene Steratore? Oh, gee. Might I mean? But I'm just thinking this is the same thing as a a shotgun snap because if you have a shotgun snap and the quarterback doesn't touch it, it goes over his head like five yards. It's a live ball. So that's the differentiators: the under the legs versus huh. the everywhere else. Everywhere else is a live ball, but I think under the legs is actually. A false start, and that only happened in 2007. It was like against the Eagles. I had to look this up, by the way. So okay, just for okay. the everyone listening, like I hmm. looked for the hardest ones. Jake's but yeah, in 2007, it swapped. Yeah, like they, all right. the Eagles were screwed I'm, over. I'm okay. Okay. My credibility we'll, we'll fact just check got all ruined. these at the break. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> we'll fact check all these at the break. I'd too. call right, it a fumble happening again. All right, um, okay, this is an interesting one. If a player fair catches a punt. Let's say he catches it at the 50-yard line. Irrelevant. The punter then comes out. What is happening here? Do you know? The punter comes, comes out, out. What do you mean comes out? comes out? Like sexuality or? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Oh, that was good. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say it again. So, let's say they're punting from their end zone. Yeah. And they punt it and it only makes it to the 50-yard line. He's about, to take, a free ki- he's about to take a free kick right now. Free kick. Wait, 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 wait. What's context around this? Hold on. You're punting. You no, no, wait sorry, for no. a fair one, catch. One team, one team's punting, and let's say your team is fair catching. Okay. They fair catch it, they catch it, and then they run off the field, and the first play after the fair catch, the punter comes on the field. The kicker can also come on the field, Or too. the kicker. Yeah, sorry. I don't understand. Jake, can you break uh, that down for I'm us? not getting this one. So, Bill Belichick did this. 
So if you fair catch a punt, you can take a free kick from where you did a oh, fair catch. Wow. So if you have like a situation where you have seven seconds to go in the half wow. and you fair catch something with a second left, you can take a free kick from where you fair caught it. What is with a free kick? Basically like the same thing as a kickoff. But you can take it from... Can you punt it though? You Did can, you say that? You can punt it or you kick it off You can punt it for three? You can't punt it for three. You oh, have to kick it off the ground. Yeah, you have to kick it off for three. But you can kick it off through. Yeah, and there's like you don't line up like a field goal. It's straight up like a kickoff. So it's like a rugby, like an extra point. Was it rugby. when someone? Yeah, they drop kick it, right? Yeah. And you can use did a someone? Tee? Did someone drop kick it? Is that what happened? Uh, for Belichick. Bill Flutie Belichick did, that. did that this. Different, though. I don't was, know if he drop kicked it. Doug Flutie did it. He did drop kick it. That was yeah. the last play of his career. The drop kick. So I, I know the last. I'm so time, happy you know that. That's awesome. I'm oh, so happy yeah, you know that. Of course. The last time this was attempted, actually, they did this in 2019. The Panthers did it. Did they really? Uh, but they they missed it. They missed the oh. kick. Hmm. So he kicked it off from the 50-yard line, and it was just wide right. But it had plenty of leg because mm. it wasn't hmm. snapped. It was It was just dude held it at the 50-yard line like he was doing kickoff, right? No one's in front of him. Um, Panthers fucking suck. I'll mention that. Yeah, <laughs> the Panthers <laughs> suck. So, uh, but I think the last time it was done, completed successfully, I think, according to this website, it was 1976. Wow. I thought Bill Belichick did it recently. Maybe he did a drop a drop kick. I think I... Doug Flutie this. on the Patriots did a drop kick to end his career. That was his last play. Worth three points, I believe. Huh. Yeah, we're looking but this up real time. So, we'll what, what uh, use? Oh, I think Bill Belichick passed up the opportunity to end Super Bowl 51 on a free kick. Mm. Oh, maybe you just didn't know. It's a lot to know. Bill Belichick would know. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Of all Billy people, B. I mean. Anyway, I think that could actually be relevant. He was thinking about doing games. a seventy-five. That yard was a really free interesting kick. situation. That is. That yeah. is an interesting. All right. What's number three? And la- last one, really quick. Um, how many? Uh, okay. Let's say you're going for an extra point, um, and everything goes haywire, and the ball. You know, makes it back all the way to your end zone, and you get tackled in your own end zone for a safety. How many points is that? Two. What do you, think? So, wait, uh, you get the, tackled in your own. Well, if two, if they uh, drop it, he wouldn't be asking us if it was two. Well, no. no so <laughs> so this is well, yes, <laughs> something but that's not two. Let's say if you're kicking an extra point and it gets blocked, and the opposing team returns it. Yeah, that's two. That's two. But if they tackle, is it a is it six? Is it a touchdown or um no one I'd, one. Do you have an opinion on this? In high school, that can't happen. I don't know about the NFL. Rule. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay, he's, yeah, he's, interesting. he's giving himself an out here. <laughs> exactly. Is, I actually don't know. That is a one-point play. Wow. So oh, one-point nice. safety. Good job, uh, Dom. Yep. Well done, Dom. There we go. All right, I'm coming for you. See interesting. You that wraps up uh, obscure NFL plays. That, so, that was good. That was, I only I was got one out of three, pitch. really. Wow. So. Well, we we trust that you have a much higher strike rate than the rest of us on uh, the standard plays. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. This is going to get you that white ones. hat. It's going to get you that white hat with one of these plays. These are the kind of plays we talk about in a pregame, like what would happen if, if this happened. So I'm going to bring all these up. So you, oh, do, oh, do the all the refs? Is that, is that it's like a quiz when, when thing. The, when almost. the quarterback's out, when, when – uh, Who's the guy who does the weird hip thing? The is it a Cowboys quarterback? Dak oh, Prescott. Dak Prescott. When yeah. Dak Prescott's out, out doing his hip thing, you guys are doing some mental agility, giving yeah. each other's. Yeah, we're we're getting so the brain all fired weird. up. Everyone gets together and you kind of go through situations yeah. before. Oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. It's cool. So Jake, through this refereeing, obviously you've watched a lot of football. 
can you tell me why we have a kicker? And do you have any argument for why a kicker is not just the most random and just worst position in all of sports? <laughs> Seems like you're leading with that question a little bit there, Dom. Yeah. No, no. It's, completely unbiased. <laughs> it's like you're telling me what you want my answer to be. <laughs> well, what do, do you, you have think? St- well, I I think, so I'm an Eagles fan. You guys saw what happened last week with Jake Elliott. 59-yard field goal. Stunned. In the rain. Tie the game. Before that, I was a kicker hater. Now I'm a kicker lover. Wow. wow recently week. flipped. Let's Ooh. go. Wow. Because you know what? If you... The best sh- position kicker, so, we're screwed there. We're going for a Hail Mary. All right, here, here's the thing. I'm a Steelers fan, like Alex and Ryan. I'm sorry. Chris Boswell has accounted for, what do we say, half of our points Yeah, we, we did some rough math that he scored over fi- about 50% yeah. of I love the Boz. season's points. I love Boz. I'm glad we have him. He's he One comes of the best in kickers clutch. in the league. I, I think he's a great guy. I think he's, a, he's great at his position. I just don't think his position should exist in sports. That is absurd because think about think about what football is. It's it's a tough game. You know, you're playing out in the conditions. You got to be focused. It's gritty. And then how gritty is how gritty is it for someone to be standing on the sidelines for up to ninety percent of the time, and then they have to mm-hmm. come in in the snow. All the pressure's on them. Eleven people are rushing to try to block it. You have to play the wind. You got to play the conditions. You're on a hash, you know, I'm and then not. you got to boot it perfectly to crush one in. I mean, I'm looking at the top 20 scores ever in the NFL <laughs> right now. They're all kickers. Dude, 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 dude. They're all kickers. Oh my god! You're giving me nothing here. You're giving me absolutely nothing here because you're, okay. you're, you're saying you're, you're they're, yeah they're standing on the sideline 90 percent of the time because 99 percent of the sport of football does not involve the kicker. They just threw this guy in there. It could be anything. Here's what it could be. It could be the offense goes out and they run 12 plays and they get down to the five-yard line and they just can't get it in. It's fourth down. All right, Dom, get on out there. We're going to bring out a folding table and some cups and you got to hit the last cup in beer pong and that's going to be a that's going to be worth three points. It's the same thing. It has You're right. Nothing That's a high-pressure situation. It has, it's a high-pressure situation. Sure. <laughs> sure, it's a high-pressure situation. Sure, kickers have a hard job, but it has nothing to do with the rest of the sport. You're saying the if, job if is I, irrelevant. If, 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 if we subbed the act of kicking for Dom going out there and trying to sink the last cup of beer pong, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing. How would you it's feel like if thing. we... How, it has nothing to do with the How would you feel if rugby got rid of kicking then? Uh... Rug- kicking is an integral part of the game of rugby. And, Same with football. No, no, no. Ryan, listen. Kicking is an integral part of the game of rugby, and the people who kick the ball in rugby also participate in all of the other pieces of the sport. But don't you typically have the games that I've watched? You, you guys always have one guy that kicks it through. You'll have a, a you'll have a designated kicker for posts, but he has to be active on the field. You can't you can't bring somebody um, off the sideline. And in just to kick the points, that person has to be active on the playing field. And then there's plenty, plenty of kicks in play that are executed by a number of players. It is a weird thing. I think kicking, I, I like you've talked me into it more. Like, I think that the fact that that's part of the game is odd. I have to like, first off, let's think of this. Everyone's kind of disappointed when you come out because you didn't score a touchdown. Like you're the set. You're like, you're just kind of like, 
It's a mini game, bonus dude. points, and it's like it's like kind of. It's boring. just a little mini game. It's it would just be so much like, better if you just had to go fourth on fourth down every time, right? I feel like that would be very interesting. Uh, well, maybe it keeps games closer because bad teams can kind of hang in there. Well, with a, a kicker. But well, well, if you had, I mean, punters. So you you don't have to go on fourth down. You can punt, but not kicking to get three points would change the score a lot. But it would change how you go about your offense completely too. Oh yeah. So let's yeah. think about this. NFL rosters. The only requirement is you have to have fifty-two people. You don't have to have a kicker. Is it 53. 53. 53 or 54? 53. 53. Yeah. So mm-hmm. these NFL teams have to know something that we don't. Like, how many points are you missing oh. out on by not having a kicker? Oh, no, How no, no. many drives I, end I at, like, the 30 yeah. or 40? I'm not, I'm not arguing that you should – I'm not arguing in some kind of counter strategy, contrarian strategy, where you drop your kicker and you go for it on fourth down every time. That's not what I'm arguing at all. I, I think it's – if you were to do the analysis, it's probably better to have a kicker on your roster just because of all those situations where you end up – when you're needing three points, I'm saying, like like Chris Boswell, I think he does a great job at what he's doing. I'm saying, the fact that the game of football created this position where you yeah. do nothing well. but just kick the ball, where if I meet you out in the bar and you're like, I'm an NFL athlete, and then I'm like, that's awesome. What position do you play? And you're like, I'm a kicker. Well. I'm gonna be like. Uh, Okay, (laughs) you're out there. You know, you're not. You're on the team. Yeah, you're questioning. You're not an NFL of the position. I will admit, questioning the rule of the game. Yes, I will admit. I kind of agree with you on that. Like, I I don't get why they made it. Maybe to keep the games closer. That's the only. Maybe it it is exciting at the end of a game when you have a field goal. Look, I think it's the same thing as capitalism. Oh, where there's a need. Like this on the pod. Where there's a need. Where there's a niche. Someone fits in. So, like, if everybody was fit. And everybody was in shape. Why would you have fitness trainers? But people aren't. Mm. Here comes fitness trainers. Same thing with the kicker. If we could score a touchdown every time, there'd be no kickers. That's a good point. Just something to think about. It's mm. a good point. There, there was a hole in the game, the and it was filled. One. There was <laughs> a hole in the game. Well, well, it's a little undercooked in my book. It didn't sound as it sounded good in my mind. I think I think it is it is kind of like capitalism in that. In, in that we have this position who's good at no other skills except for kicking the ball. And they can still get a big payday. And they can still, uh, yeah. It's like the accountant. Maybe. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> you know? It's it's just, again, that you're allowed to, the, the position only requires one task, so they're going to find the person who's best at that task, even if they don't have any of this other skills it requires to, to play the game. So so let's say, okay, you brought up this beer pong yeah. idea, like yeah. draining a cup. Yeah. Let's think of a realistic, let's just say there's some number of optional points under six or seven points. It's maybe like five point something. What would a skill be with the players on the field that you might be interested to see someone do? Like, is there anything? Oh, wow. That's kind of like, I'm not sure if I, if I'm following exactly, but I kind of, let's say, I kind of feel like what you're saying is there's, there should be some kind of opportunity for, let's say this, your quarterback can throw the ball through. After, like maybe oh. between forty, you know, forty yards and back, it's like it's like a three point. points, and then within twenty yards, it's two points. Kind of like, kind of like, uh, there, there's an argument that for Footage. an extra point, instead of just kicking an extra point, you should say, okay, we, we'll kick an extra point from what is it, five yards back to One. fifteen yards back now. So well, like now, it's, yeah, now it's farther. Now yeah. it's like twenty-five. H- however, yeah. or we'll attempt to play from fifteen three. yards back for two points. Or what if we attempt to play from thirty yards back at the, for a chance at four? See, points? I would like to see that. 
You know, that would be just pretty be a little cool bit more, you know, be a little bit more creative. And instead of having a kicker at all on extra points, we just say pick where you want to start from. The further back you go, the more points you get. And maybe we could but figure see, something else see, out. The extra point to me is the dumbest thing. That's even more dumb than kicking. Why are we doing extra points? It just to me it makes sense. You it's, just it's, score. It's more of a reward once you score a touchdown to get that extra point. I know what the rule because is. Because then two I get field it, goals, like, you know, don't get you there. Can I can I add a little bit mm. of historical context, please? Okay. From the game of rugby. Oh man. Okay, go. All right. So the way rugby scoring originally worked uh, is okay. I, I guess for the listeners who aren't particularly familiar with it, scoring system is very similar to. American football and that there's an end zone. You have to get into the end zone to score points and then you get an attempt to kick after. There's also, you know, very comparable uh, scenario to a field goal that's worth three points. Um, but when you score in rugby, instead of being called a touchdown, it's called a try. And the reason it's called a try is because you used to have to score the ball into the end zone to get a try at kicking it through the goalposts in order to gain points. So the act of scoring in the end zone was worth zero points. All it did was it gave you a free shot at kicking through the sticks. Whoa. Um, because uh, rugby football came from classic football, what we call soccer, which is, you know, points are scored through kicking. That's just how it always was. So when rugby came about, it's like, you know, you score points by kicking, obviously. So now we've just created this scenario where you get a free try to kick. Um, and then at some point, people realize like, oh, that's kind of dumb. The fun part of the game is when people score in the end zone so we're going to make that worth points and then eventually it's like oh well we like that a lot more so we're going to make it worth even more points than the kick is worth to encourage it happening more and then the kick has always been kind of a residual and i think when rugby football came to america and transferred into american football that act of the kick remained the same and then as american football became more specialized where you don't have consistent athletes who stay on the field all the time you know, you'll sub in offense, sub in defense. Now, instead of saying, okay, our quarterback is also the best kicker on the team, so we're going to have him kick, you realize, oh, why don't we bring in this guy who plays soccer who has none of these other football skills but can kick the ball really hard because we have the opportunity to bring him in and out. And here we end up today. Mm. Um, and the kick has just lingered long after we found out that we didn't really like it that much. I see your point. Bang. What do we think, boys? I do. I see your point. I do. Part, part of me thinks, though... Interesting on the evolution there. I like that. That's Mm. a good tidbit. And part of me thinks that the kicking, you know, the evolution of the game and evolution of scoring makes it more interesting. But also in the back of my mind, this also kind of sounds like, you know, some of the old timers who hate it that teams pass all the time. Like it used to be run 95% of the time. Hmm. It used to, and then whenever teams started throwing the ball, they're like, oh, they're trying to do all this fancy shit and throw the ball. Like, why can't we just run the ball down their throat, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust? And then the old timers yeah. would get mad that they're throwing the ball. And now it's like, well, it makes sense to throw the ball because you get more yards, you know, less time. You can score, easier to come back. And so, like, the, the kicking game is just like an evolution of that as well. Why is the punter getting a free pass here? Dude, that's why. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. That's, that's, a, that's a weird one. You know, it's crazy. The punting... When you sometimes root for a team like Penn State this year or like in Iowa, the punter's your favorite player. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't want to talk shit on the punter, but I'll be honest, I agree with you. It is a weird position. Important for the position battle. Flipping the field field is huge. I kind of like the punter better than the kicker because the kicker, my argument is that there should never even be this opportunity to gain points through kicking because we'd naturally think it's more boring. 
Um, but the punter is still valuable in this game of football because you want to take as much field position away from your opponent as you can. So if you have a lackluster offensive series, okay, let me get this let me get this thing as far away from me as possible so that my defense has a better chance of not letting them score. So I kind of like the punter for that reason. I think he plays in well, well to well, this, to, this to, territorial battle. To that point, though, let's say there's a big strategy with long field goals, too, then. Because if you miss a long field goal, the opposing team gets the ball where you missed it from. So you got to think about that, too. So you're if you're kicking like a 55-yarder, it's late in the game. And you could either make it, you know, to go up by a touchdown, or if you miss it, it's still a field goal game. You got to think, okay, if we make it, great, we're up by a touchdown. But if we miss it, they have short field position and they can go right down and score. They only need 10, 20, 30 yards until they can kick it. So there is a negative to kicking as well. So it's, it's, it's just a big mental game. Do you think that the, you said, because obviously punting it gets you, you know, you're playing for field position. You're, yeah, you're yeah. It, it positions yeah. the actual athletes. So do you think that we punt it because that's the farthest it can go? Like we can kick it further and we can throw potentially? Probably, it? right? Because yeah. your femur is a bigger no, How far can these guys – They could probably punt the ball. Like, throw the football? Well, your average quarterback in the NFL is probably throwing it 60, 65. I bet your punter could probably kick it 70, 75. But he has to start further back. Yeah, I'm saying 70, 75. So it probably nets out it. to be the same as if you were to just mm-hmm. chuck it. But the rules don't allow for that. I don't know. But I, I guess I'm bringing up the point. You'd have of to the say, rule, like, this like, isn't why? a pass, guys. I'm just chucking it as far as I can. <laughs> oh, this is It'd interesting. be an inconsistency of the game. The average mm. punt in the NFL uh, this year net? is 45 yards net from the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Wow. Or, so well, after the return or no? So they're probably kicking it like 60 yards. No, but just it, how far the ball but goes. But it's a flawed stat because yeah. it, it, it field position. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. You can try to pin him in the 20. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. I, yeah. I hate the average punt stacks. It doesn't take anything into consideration. But well, it, also, it does, though. It does, though. Because if you have a really good leg and a good punter, you can pin him back. And if you don't outkick your coverage, you can you can pin it back almost every time. Yeah. You're a really good yeah. punter. I mean, there's definitely some takeaways. But, yeah, it's, I, think it's, I think the punter is a weird position. But I think it's tactically it makes sense, but then also – if my argument's going to remain consistent, I have to think that the punter shouldn't just be punting because then he doesn't have any other purpose. Although I do really love when a punter either throws or runs for a first down. It's freaking hyped. So electric. I was actually going to say, wasn't there a, a player on the Texans that kicked an extra point to like win the game yeah. or something? Yeah, like wide the receiver. Yeah. Or wide receiver. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. How'd you feel about that? Did you see it? That's how the game should be, boys. And he fell down when he kicked it for the win, too, by the way, or something. I think something it was like, like a that, very yeah. important point or field goal, and he like fell down when he hit it. So that. <sighs> Anyways, yeah, the, the kickers and punters, just ridiculous positions. and uh, <laughs> I think it's beautiful. But they did, a good, they beautiful did a good game. job commercializing it somehow. It's just weird that it happened that way, and I don't like it. I respect that's all, Justin That's all Tucker, I have though. to say about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Justin yeah, Tucker. Yeah. Justin yeah. Tucker. Yeah. So yeah. much swag. Yeah, beast. Yeah, he should be playing soccer or something, but okay. So, Jake, you mentioned there's no fitness requirements for the high school refing you've been doing, but as I understand it, you you keep a pretty consistent uh, fitness regime of your own, including uh, completion of 75 hard. Why don't you tell us what that is? Sure. Um, So, over the summer... It's a 75-day program where you have to do certain things every single day to check the box. 
uh, first thing. It's no alcohol at all. Uh, you have to drink a gallon of water. Uh, you have to stick to a diet. Uh, there's no specific diet you have to stick to. Just keep it clean. No cheat meals. Um, you have to read 10 pages of a nonfiction book. You have to take a mirror picture, which I wasn't used to. Um, sure. every, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, every day to, uh, track your progress and two workouts a day, 45 minutes each. And one has to be outside. And you do that every day for 75 days. Where, where did this come from? Like, what's the, what, where did 75 hard originate? It originated, um, from this guy named Andy who, um, Andy Frisilla, uh. he is the, um, uh, founder of, um, basically his vitamin first, company. First form, right? First form. Yep. Yeah. Made really good stuff. Um, yeah. but, uh, he was kind of in a bad spot, uh, when he was growing the company, drinking a lot. Um, doing all these things, not taking care of their body, and it kind of leaked into the culture of the company, and you start to see the results kind of um, go down. Um, so he cut everything off, um, made this program himself, did it, made the rest of his staff do it, and it's paid dividends. And he still does this periodically, um, and he has a podcast too. He's yeah, so really so, opinionated. So you saw us through a podcast or like YouTube or something? Is this like going around? Like, I think he made a book on it, right? He made a book. It's a 75 hard book that kind of goes through um, kind of what you're going to feel from the certain day ranges. Like what you're going to feel from day zero or day one to day 10. What are you going to feel from day 10 to 30? What are you going to feel from 40 to 50, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of read that for the first four days. It's a short book, um, but it's pretty... It's pretty accurate as far as like oh. what you feel. Did the book then do a good job of preparing you for what was the was was the four days you read it in? Was that kind of your required reading? Did you use it as that? Yeah, it, it's a short book. It's mm-hmm. um, it's got some pictures and stuff like that. Um, but I would refer back to it as I was going through. Like you have some days where you feel amazing, you feel great, you're on top of the world, confidence is is really high. And then you have some days where you struggle to even get one workout in. And that's what I used it. That's what I prepared my mind for and made it a little easier. So what motivated you to start doing this? Is it something that you had thought about doing for a while and finally decided to pull the trigger? Or did you just see it out of the blue and say, this looks cool. I'm just going to dive right in. I think all men and women get to a point in their mid twenties where everything is kind of routine. You do the same thing over and over and over again. You go to the same bars, you drink, you're not going anywhere in life. And I just got to a point where, you know, every day was mundane. Um, I wasn't challenged. So uh, my brother has actually done this like three or four times. Um, so I've been talking to, to him about it for, for a while. And it was after one weekend of, um, you know, drinking too much, feeling like crap on Sunday. And I was like, all right, I'm starting tomorrow. And, mm. and did it. Damn. What was, uh, throughout this 75 days, what was the hardest part for you? Was it the eating clean? Was it the two workouts? Or was it like, as you said, like taking a mirror pick, it's not for me either. Like was, <laughs> was that like some of the hardest, was, what was the hardest thing for you? So, um, I think the working out was actually the easiest. Um, I worked out a lot before, um, the working out inside, um, was easy working out outside 
is a different story. I did this during the summer when it was like 90, 95 degrees outside. Oh, yeah. And also you had sporadic thunderstorms. Mm. So, you know, running outside, you know, trying to get the run in done before uh, you get struck by lightning. Um, but just the time management piece, just planning out your days, uh, making sure you're checking all the boxes, where you're going to fit in certain things. Um, you know, you have, you know, a Friday or Saturday night when you're out with, uh, out with your friends, then all of a sudden you have to leave them to go do a secondary workout. You do your secondary workout and then come back. Um, you know, people... Did people tr- give you a hard time for that? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, and then another piece that's that's not on here is the laundry. Like, I had so much laundry to do. <laughs> oh, wow. All the, I like, I had that. to do laundry like three or four times a week because my gym shorts would be soaked because I would do, like, hard workouts every single time I would, I would do it. I would walk sometimes for 45 minutes. Walks are low-key awesome. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I had to buy more gym shorts, more gym shirts, socks, underwear, just because I couldn't keep up with the laundry. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and you said, um, before the podcast that you had to fit in some workouts at odd hours. Like you had to fly, was it Arizona and then had to fit one in late at night? Yeah. So it was a Sunday and I was flying out to, uh, Phoenix for work. So I think my flight was at like one, so I had to be at the airport eleven. So I woke up Sunday at like seven thirty eight, got my run in, and then I got to Arizona at like nine or ten at night. So mm-hmm. I had like two, three hours left to get that workout in. So got my Uber, threw my stuff to my hotel room, um, got my gym clothes on and just went for a run in phoenix didn't know the area wow didn't know anything just went for a run do you know what what day this was roughly it was early on it was like day 14 or 15 that's it that's an early challenge then mm-hmm. wow it was like the first roadblock but there's always gonna be roadblocks there's always gonna be something that you have to overcome to get this challenge done so yeah. absolutely and did going into it did you anticipate having those pretty dramatic inconveniences and knowing that there's going to be times when I have to travel and it's going to be really, really hard to do this. Um, or did you go in a little bit naive and say, you know, I'm going to be able to plan it out. I'm always going to do my workout at 6.30 a.m. And then I'll just do my second one at 6 p.m. when I get off work and thought it was going to be kind of easy. Definitely more on the naive side because yeah. I I wasn't planning on doing this until the day before. I called my brother on the way home from where I was coming from and I said, I'm going to start tomorrow. Didn't think about what I had coming up for the 75 days. Um, I had a work trip. I had a wedding. Uh, I had a lot of different things I had to go to that, you know, would either be an inconvenience or you, you could be tempted to drink. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of runs that I had to do or workouts I had to do where I was coming up on the midnight clock. Um, but... I feel like there's never a good time for 75 days. Like something no, is going to be within. Well, so you almost did it right in a better way. Otherwise it'd be like, Oh, you know what? I got a couple weddings coming up. Like I'm going to exactly. You almost have to be naive going into it because if you think about what you have to do and think about what you have coming up, you could easily look forward and talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think going in naive is kind of the, and just like saying a better way to go tomorrow. Yeah. And then you have an excuse too. Like, oh, you're not drinking. Why aren't you drinking tonight? Like you have a good excuse for it. I had to do this on the 4th of July Ooh. and my dad has a lake house. So I did a workout before I went to the lake house and then I had people over at the lake house 
And then while people were at the lake house, I went and did a kayak workout for 45 minutes. <laughs> that's, a pretty good, that's a pretty good workout. That's, that's pretty electric. And then that's another cool. one, I went to the Wells Fargo tournament, the golf tournament, yeah. and I did a workout before I went to that. And then uh, while we were all hanging out, I walked away and just walked the course for 45 minutes by myself. Wow. That's a good one, too. Man. That is a good one. That, that's, yeah. yeah, that's it's a good one. And it's a reason to get away from people when you want. You and know? it's like I was enjoying the golf course and seeing the players like without mm-hmm. any kind of distraction. So I, I thought it was it was worth my time. How often during this challenge did you absolutely resent doing the challenge and your, and your decision to do it? So the first 10 days, it feels normal. Um, hmm. Working out twice. I, w- I would do that. Anyways, sometimes before the challenge. First 10 days, you don't feel any impact. Day 20 through 40, they say you start to feel like you're in God mode, like you can do anything. It's in the book. I'm not saying God mode, but um, but then day 40 through 60 is a grind because you have 30 more days. You have another month. You've already done a month and a half. You've missed on a lot of things. Um, and your body's just starting to wear down. So about three weeks there, you're kind of, the light at the end of the tunnel is still far away. Um, so it still feels like it's a long way out. But then once you get to day 60, I got two weeks left of this. Like, let's rock. Mm. So how, how like sustainable is some of this stuff forever? Because I mean, like if I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking and listening to what you're saying. The workout twice a day is probably kind of hard and like the no alcohol thing is probably pretty hard, but I feel like the rest of it could be pretty ingrained. Like, do you still do it even if you're out of, you know, this hard 75 and. Well, yeah. I mean, as we, as we get older, um, you know, we, we need to take better care of our bodies to be at, at peak performance. Diet has a big part to play there. Alcohol is a big part to play there. Um, you know, before I used to think having a, two or three beers with the boys in the middle of the week. Um, you know, all the time is okay. And it's, it's okay every once in a while, but that shouldn't be something you do, you know, every single week. It just builds up over time. Um, two 45-minute workouts. Um, I still to do this pretty frequently. I like run in the morning, uh, and then I work out in the afternoon. Uh, drinking a gallon of water. I still track my ounces yeah. every single day. Um, this program... Uh, you know, made me like to read again. Like I've read like 17 or 18 books um, oh, wow. this year Woo! and I didn't read. Let's go. I think I might've read two last mm. year. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you just have more to talk about with people, more things on your mind, your vocabulary is um, more extensive. So um, you actually see that difference? I do. Wow. I do. Like I, I feel smarter. I feel like I have a more clear vision of where I want to go. Uh, with my life, my career, uh, my relationships with people. Um, but this teaches you to take care of yourself. Um, following a diet, working out, drinking water, reading. Those are all things you should do every day to be smarter, more in shape. Um, and if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. So, um, I feel Damn. motivated here. Yeah, that is. Geez. So, Holy so smokes, yeah, dude. that does. So, <laughs> you know, whenever you, you see yourself, you know, Every day, so you probably don't see every single day. You don't see big difference, big difference. But whenever you're taking the picture, what day did you finally take it and you thought, "Oh wow, like you know, I'm really changing here." So I think 
day day 30 i saw a two-pack for the first time in a long time upper two upper two yeah <laughs> and then day 60 i saw four let's go and then not quite at six yet but um so you you're not gonna see those day over day differences um and that's saying that goes for for everything you do just because you study one day doesn't mean you're gonna be smarter on day two but by day 30 you're gonna start to see some results um working out just it brings people down because they're you know our society we want immediate returns on on things that we do for one day you know we're not you're not going to see a result like i think that is really affecting the younger population um Mm. but when you do this challenge and you look at a picture from day 45 and all of a sudden you look amazing compared to day one um you know that that starts to reinforce the idea that you know anything that is worth having is worth putting the work in for Mm -hmm. so um that's what this really taught me. I'm just going on a rant right now. No, that's oh, great. No, no that's yeah. awesome. That's, that's great, awesome. What was like the hardest food adjustment you had to make? Yeah, Fri- fries. What, man. what was your oh. what was your actual diet? Because that piece is variable. Uh, I didn't do um, I didn't do uh, French fries. Uh, I would do um, fried chicken if if it was at a restaurant. Um, you know, I I ate pretty well already. Uh, I ate salads. Uh, you know, as boring as some people think chicken and rice and broccoli is, like, a, oh, that's great. That's my yeah, stuff. Like, I could eat it for every meal. So that's what I would do. Um, that's probably one thing that I probably would try to do harder hmm. is to have a more concrete diet plan. But my plan was just to eat and, clean, and that's what I did. And you are giving it a second go, right? You mentioned January first. You're starting again. Yeah. So I'm I'm running a marathon uh, at the end of February. So um let's go yeah you and i both all right i really like yeah. what, what kind of like what's the yeah which marathon? marathon uh it's in wilmington uh oh, okay. yeah end of february so um first one or? that's my first one Dang. yeah so i'm gonna try to eat clean well i'm gonna take i'm not gonna do a hard 75 it's gonna be a 75 day tailored training plan because and i'm sure you know after you run like two or three hours like you you can't really do anything else so <laughs> that second workout piece isn't going to work for me yeah. um but drinking water following a diet reading progress pictures i'll i'll do all that is a marathon something that you would have considered doing or thought you're you were capable of doing before this first challenge i couldn't run a mile without running out of breath before i started this challenge huh but um but when I started running, it was it was more of a challenge to myself. Like I grew up playing football, I grew up wrestling, basketball, nothing long distance, and I am not built like a runner. Yeah. But I wanted to challenge myself to become a runner. Yep. So it's almost like a personal challenge for myself to turn myself into a runner. But, um, but honestly, I think doing the cardio. And running is the best thing I ever did. Clears my mind after you're done. It feels so good. Yeah, dude. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I was never... That's the one thing I can say about running, too, is I never planned on being one. I did the same sports. Could run maybe a mile that I was winded, too. But, yeah, I think that's... No, that's awesome. That's that's really... Do you have a training block ready for the... Like, do you have, like, a plan for the marathon? I think I'll get more into, like, a nitty-gritty running plan when... 
I get about 60 days out, which is mm-hmm. next month. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But right now I'm doing like one or two long runs a week. Nice. Uh, like tomorrow I'll do 12 probably in the oh, morning. Oh, nice. Um, but most of my runs will stick to like six or seven. So you've still kept, uh, you, you've been running a good amount of distance a week. Yeah, anywhere from 20 to 25. Oh, nice. Like that. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Um, to go back to this, I was thinking about this, but you said you really got into the habit of reading again. And um, what books, do you remember how many books you read for 75 days? I've got a list. I, I can't, 75 yeah. days, I think I did five. Okay. In 2023, I've done... Like 18 or 19. I've got them all written down. What, here. what were some of the books that stuck out during 75 Hard? So you got to read the motivational ones when you get started because yeah. it's a grind those those first 10 days. So, you know, everyone's favorite, David Goggins. I got oh, those yeah. two oh, books. No, no. Can't, can't hurt Woo, me. Yeah. I got a, I got, I have an opinion on that one, but uh, that's a good book. But. It's gonna probably a soft opinion. Soft opinion? I'm kidding. I don't know. I'm just talking shit. Well, well, well yeah, I got I Keep going. I read it Sorry. because. You might think you're a tough guy, but there's people out there that are doing tougher things that mm. you need to push yourself to be able to do. And I'll never be able to get to the, some of the stuff that Goggins did, but um, it was kind of a humbling experience to to read that book. And I even get humbled on the street when I'm running. I was another thing that I do is like when you're working out twice a day, one has to be outside. There's going to be bad weather, um, but now. It's kind of weird. I don't know if I should say this. I'm like wired different now where if I have like rain or it's cold or there's something in my way to like run outside, like I'll go do it anyway. Like it rained all last week in Charlotte and I think I ran in pouring down rain twice just because I could do it. Um, Hmm, So you're actually drawn to it now. Yeah. It's kind of the additional challenge. You're, you want to do stuff that's hard now. Yeah. Like there's no one out there. Like I'm gonna be out yeah. there. Would you say that's hmm. one of the biggest benefits you've gotten from this? Yeah, just just being wired and like, there's roadblocks to everything, but at the end of the day, they're just roadblocks. Well, it sounds like too, like not making an excuse. Like that's what I like about Goggins is he's very dog mentality, no excuses, yep. which I like. That that's mm. a big thing. Um, the thing I didn't like about Goggins though, like he doesn't. Did you read the, like this? I actually haven't read the book, but like, does he talk about his like rabdo experience in there? His what? His rhabdo, like when you're, you overtrain and then like you could hurt yourself. Oh, he did that all the time. Yeah. So like you, you can, you can like die from that. Right. Like yeah. I've experienced that personally where it's like you can actually hurt yourself if you push yourself too hard. But anyway, not to take away from, from that experience. No, that's yeah, just yeah, why yeah. we had the yeah. reaction that way. But, uh, but that's a sick book though. He's got a good mentality. We've, we've danced around a few of the benefits that you've recognized from going through this program. I'm interested to hear, going into the first time you did it, what your motivations for doing it were, what you were hoping to get out of it, kind of exiting that first time, you know, what what did you go in hoping to get out of it that you actually did? Maybe what were some of the benefits that you didn't expect that, that happened? And then how does that transition into the second iteration here? Yeah, so my motivation for going into it the first time was... Life was happening to me. I wasn't happening to life. You know, like mm. I wasn't taking my care of myself. Um, I wasn't, you know, I was making my decisions, but like 
people were making decisions for me at work, relationships, um, all that stuff. I wanted to take control of it. By taking control of it, the first thing I would need to do is take care of myself um, with dieting, working out, reading books, water, take care of the physical, mental parts, um, and then get out of it, take the, the best practices that I learned to the challenge and keep some or leave some. Um, but after doing the challenge, I'm, I'm keeping all of them. I still do most of these things every single day. Um, now, as far as a, what I know I can do now, um, obviously I can, I can run long distances that I didn't think I could before. Last year, if you were asked me if I were to ever do a marathon, I would say you're crazy. I would never do it. Um, now I, I don't think I could do it easily, but I'm going to finish. There's no doubt about that. Um, reading, I never thought of myself as like a, um, intellectual person. Like I, you know, I played sports in high school. That was like my thing. I didn't need to be smart. Luckily I got into a good school, but, um, but now I enjoy reading and I can actually connect to a lot more people than I could before. Cause there's a lot of people that actually read books out there. Um, and you can talk about certain subjects. Um, so I feel like my conversations with people are deeper. I can relate to more people. Um, work wise, um, I've taken on more projects, um, more responsibility at work. Um, just because of how I viewed things during the challenge, things at work, there's roadblocks that pop up. Um, but there's ways to approach those roadblocks, get around them. Um, and then some of the books I've also been getting into a lot of like psychology and like conversational books. So like my relationships at work are better. Um, I'll shout out a book, how to win friends and influence people. Sure. Great book. Very good book. Yeah. Very good book. Um, so in all aspects, this, this challenge is a no brainer. If you haven't done it or considered doing it, I would do it. So then phase two, anything you're looking to gain further or is it just sharpening the ax? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, there is like a phase two of the 75 hard. You do 75 hard and then on top of 75 hard, you create like five mini tasks for yourself to do after the 75 hard. And you can customize that with whatever you want. So if I want to do like... You know, a lot of people um, get back into spirituality. I want to read 10 pages of the Bible. Or I want to I want to learn French. I'll do 10 minutes of French. Or um, I want to learn coding for 10 minutes. And meditate? Then you do, meditate? Do you meditate? Or is that meditate. like something that people do, like to add on top of it? Yeah, you can. I've yeah. meditated before. I used to yeah. meditate. That wouldn't be my workout, but that's... Sometimes I would go out to my car um, at lunch and do 10 minutes of meditation. Mm-hmm. And... If you have meditated before, that is, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be the next phase. But I think knowing that this challenge exists, if I ever start to see myself spiral where all of a sudden I'm going out too much or I'm not reading, life's out of control, I know that these are the steps that I need to do to slow everything down, get back to, get back to the plan and get reset. In in your reading, have, has any of the books been um, "Discipline Equals Freedom" by Jocko Willink? I've read the the other Jacko book, um, okay. Ownership. 
Extreme ownership. Extreme ownership. Yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah. read either of those, but this, I've heard they're this great. This whole concept just sounds a lot like discipline equals freedom. And some of the benefits you've experienced in your work life, say, because you've been able to harness this discipline, um, you know, you're able to kind of create the life that you want for yourself. So I thought that... Um, you're totally right. Like there would be days where I would do this challenge and I would have more time to myself than I would on like a normal day just because I That's, planned it yeah. out. Yeah. It, it seems like there's a lot of compounding effects here uh, that are, that are really awesome and beneficial for you. Are there any negative habits that you feel you cut out as a result of doing this challenge? Going to the bars and spending yeah. way too much money. Yeah. Um, is that a residual thing too after the challenge or is that just a, uh, obviously spending money on alcohol is going to be it, it, the lack thereof is going to be a byproduct of, of doing this because it's, we probably more aware of it, you know, that you went through it. Well, right? I learned I can talk to people without drinking and making right. friends. Like huge. I didn't know I had that skill, but, um, <laughs> a lot of people don't actually, well, I feel like the social anxiety yeah. around yeah. Yeah. being in a drinking setting and not drinking is huge and i feel like a lot of things you're saying in the dom mentioned is taking power back there's a you have so much to do in the day for yourself you have to say no to people and i feel like you gain power back when you tell people no i can't do that i have to do things so hmm. i feel like there's a lot of power you take back by because if you don't have you know a structured um you know 75 days like this like it'd be so easy to be like oh yeah i'll do that i'll do that and then you let other people ask you to do stuff and that determines your day whether as you know you know what you have to do and that kind of determines your day i'd say starting off like this morning i woke up at six read 10 pages worked out went for a run for 45 minutes and then uh gratitude's another thing that i do a lot of gratitude journaling mm -hmm. whatever you're grateful for from the day prior, family, friends, whatever, jot those things down. And that's the best way to start your day. Nice. Love that. Don, you were bringing up the social anxiety of like not, you know, being in a bar. And if you're the one that's like not drinking or anything, but we're here sitting drinking 0% alcohol. And I know that's been a big thing that we've been talking about. And just we were talking about earlier that the Charlotte's opening a bar that's supposed to be a zero percent alcohol bar what's your guys takes on that i i do wonder it it does seem that non-alcoholic drinks are gaining a lot of popularity i feel that i notice them more at breweries and bars i've certainly seen a lot more advertising for them i know the rugby world cup just happened and i was watching it and the primary beer sponsor I think actually was a, a non-alcoholic beer. It was maybe Sapporo's 0, 0.0 or, or oh, something wow, like really? that. Um, I've seen a lot of Heineken 00, zero mm -hmm. advertising. And I saw Guinness is making so one now. It, it does feel like there's momentum behind this, and I don't know yeah. if it's one of those instances where I'm becoming more aware of it, so I just see it more in day-to-day -day life, or if it's something that you know maybe you guys are, are seeing as well. Yeah, no, I have to. And I think maybe because, you know, I don't know if it's because I've heard – you guys talk about it and then I've been paying more attention to it, but I never would have expected that there'd be a bar specifically for non-alcoholic beer. Like that, that's so interesting. Yeah. That does feel 
like it's a the next a far, step. It's a huge step. I a feel bit like. of a far stretch. Because you and think I, I do. It's almost like th- the. I, I compare it to this: all vegan restaurants, maybe, kind of, mm. because. Yeah. So, for example, my my sister is pescatarian, right? So she yeah. eats fish, but not that. And I was home for the holidays. We were looking to go um, to a restaurant, and we had to try, you know, two or three different places before we found somewhere that kind of had something that would be suitable for her. So it makes a lot of sense, right, that places would put vegetarian options on their menu so that the first place I go to, you know, my sister and I stay at and we have an enjoyable meal. Same kind of situation with, uh, you know, a bar having non-alcoholic options. If I'm with someone who doesn't want to drink, it's great if they have a non-alcoholic option because we can both have a good time there. But then this is kind of the other extreme looking at it from the complete 180 angle of here's this bar I have for exclusively people who don't want to drink. And I don't know that we're there yet. Yeah, I don't know. Are there like because you usually go to a bar and you go with a few friends and you hang out schedule my company happy hour there right because you know the odds that you're (laughs) you're going out with a friends that no one wants to drink alcohol but everyone wants to drink some form of beer you know like that's it would be harder to you know get people in the door i feel like what larger groups maybe but also maybe it's just a great place to go by yourself or with one other person and meet other people like you like a meetup spot Mm. you know meeting more people like you i think people are yearning for that right now. I know mm-hmm. I personally am yearning for the opportunity to meet people socially, especially from a dating perspective. I think a lot of people are growing very tired of how normalized online dating has been and how, because that's so accessible, it feels that meeting in person is more difficult. And the only opportunity you have to meet in person is now through through drinking at bars right right um and obviously that's not true you can introduce yourself to anybody anywhere but i think the social norm around it has become uh it's almost weird to approach people and yeah you you definitely feel a higher level anxiety than i think former generations would have if you don't have alcohol present so i do think these ideas of places to gather socially that don't involve alcohol could help people who feel a similar way. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, would you go to one if like one pop, like do you, would you plan on going to it in the future? Like a non-alcoholic brewery or it's hard to say, honestly, like, because like, like if like, it's hard for like us, like you're, I don't I think it's hard to have, like if you're going to go to the bar with the guys are all four of you like on some, One's on 75 hard, right. one's training for a marathon, one's training for a triathlon. Like, there are those groups, a group of friends, but I feel like it's very rare. Mm-hmm. I feel there's always one guy mm-hmm. that is, he's a huge NFL team. Like, you know the guy I'm talking about. He eats mm-hmm. hot wings, nachos, drinks beer, yeah. but yeah. he's also smart and has a great job. Like, whatever. Like, I'm not saying he's a loser, but I feel like that would make him... Or her, you lose an outcast, the, the yeah. odd man yeah. out, and yeah. I don't want to make yeah. them uncomfortable by them not having the option to to drink there. Yeah. It's almost like I, you need an alcoholic option at the non. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> do, do you have an option for people? Uh, well, yeah, and I think the the money saving aspect that you brought too of like 
I think a big benefit, even to myself too, like not going out to bars as much, is the the money savings. Like I mm-hmm. would get sick at myself with like some of the bills I would wake up to. So, like that, you're not saving because it's basically the same price. All these drinks are like the same cost as beer, and mocktails are still ten dollars. Yeah, even mm-hmm. the same price is just I, alcohol. I got a really excellent non-alcoholic beer. It's actually zero calorie too. It's one of the seltzer waters. I may have told you guys about it. Um, that that has kind of hops infused and tastes pretty legit. It's called Hop 2.0. Nota Brewing makes it locally here in Charlotte. And I was expecting because there's no alcohol, no calories, it was going to come with a lower price tag. Get my bill seven dollars for ah, this yep. mm-hmm. for this thing. So yeah, you're right. You're not really saving on the price end of things. So so the uh, one thing about these bars that I think they'll need is like hands-on stuff to do because I think that's what a lot of that's what drives social interaction. Right. Like outdoors, think, like bags and yeah, darts or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, because I could do yeah. that sober totally, right? Like, right. But yeah. I think just sitting there, I would have a tougher time just sitting there watching a game with like a non-alcoholic drink, I guess. I don't know. Maybe not. It's just, I feel like every single thing that is an activity like that, whether it be pickleball or it can be, you know, bowling, like all these places are attractions because of the bar. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can drink at them. Awesome. Like to your point, there's no like places where you're not expected to drink when you go there. Like I'd rather go play pickleball on like a Saturday morning and I don't need a bunch of, I don't need bottomless mimosas like thrown in yeah. my face. Like I just want to go play pickleball, you know, and then right. meet people, play with different people, like whatever. There's no, there's no places like that anymore. The crazy thing now is a lot of that stuff that's like active, like so. For example, Rally, right? The new pickleball bar, which is a real bar. You have to plan that and you get sweaty and like you probably can't really go out after if you're trying to, you know, go out while you're not gross or whatever. Like there are options where, let me take this back. I think what's good about non-alcoholic bar is that you don't have to plan to go there. I think that's why a lot of people go to bars. It's Mm kind of like you're working through the week, you're tired. It's Friday night, and you're just like, yo, like, where are you headed tonight? Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to QC Poorhouse, or I'm going to whatever. It doesn't take planning versus, like, if it's, like, plick ball, it's like, okay, like, everyone, like, let's wake up at 8 a.m., and do we have to reserve a court because now it's popular? Mm-hmm. And I think that, to me, also, you get sweaty and gross, and some people are like, oh, I want to shower at a certain time of day. People are weird about that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's why I think that this has some legs because but – but yet again, if you say, like, I'm like, if you, Dom or Ryan or any of you guys were like, let's go to this non-alcoholic bar, I'd be like, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's in Charlotte where there's so many breweries, so many alcoholic options, and it's a younger crowd. You're getting people who are right out of college who are continuing their drinking from college. So you're getting a younger crowd, you know, a lot of bars, a lot of breweries. It's like something that sticks out so much. Maybe I, you know what? I think there are probably a lot more people than we expect who are looking for something like this. So I feel like they need something. It'll be right. interesting yeah. to track. It'll certainly be interesting to track. I well, we should, we should, uh, we should go. I can see a theme we night. Do a half and half club. Yeah. A theme night. Yeah. Right. Like, um, look guys, I'm not the only one. Ooh. Yeah. I go to a wedding and I don't know how to formally dance. Mm. Mm. Maybe a dance theme night. Oh, I love that. 
it's also a challenge because you're sober. Because well, at a wedding, I've never tried to formally dance sober. I don't right. know about you, but no. if you can do it sober, you can definitely do it after, do it after a couple of beers. That's a good point. Like, like, yes, like this bar could, well, and. They could if, host if the, they, uh, a lesson. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Come yeah. for a few non-alcoholics and a, a lesson on wedding dancing with so-and-so. Well, imagine, too, not only that, now, now you got me thinking. Let's say, you know, Jake, you start 75 hard again, and you don't really know anyone else, else that's doing it, and this non-alcoholic bar decides to have a 75 hard night where you show up, you meet other people that are doing it, you meet other people doing 75 hard, you know, you make some friends doing it, and then you feel like, you know, you're kind of doing it with other people, you know? Hmm. Community building. It's funny because a Community lot building. It has to be, I think, I think it has to base itself off community building. Right? Yeah. It's yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, so the, here's the alternative, right? Uh, I think the one that actually, there is one in Charlotte, but it's technically a hookah lounge. Hmm. So it's a hookah uh, lounge, but no alcohol, but it's open till 4 a.m. So you can hookah. And I guess, I mean, is it bad for you? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of. I've heard it's pretty bad. Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. I've heard it's like smoke? smoking like multiple cigarettes. <laughs> oh, I, I thought it was just like water vapor. I don't know. I don't know. That's what but I, but I guess that would be an alternative. It's like, okay, you're not smoking, but I guess you're still doing something bad for you. Or, yeah, you're still doing something bad for you, even though you're not drinking. So I don't know. What if there's like a, a, a I don't know, water vapor yeah. smoking <laughs> thing? I don't know. Board games? I don't know. <laughs> Board game night. Cornhole tournament? Hey. There you yeah. Go. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess as we look to wrap up here and, and kind of relate it back to your 75 hard challenge, I, I have one final question for you, from my end at okay. least, Jake. Relating to this non-alcoholic bar and kind of scaling back on alcohol in your life do you have thoughts for people who say 75 hard looks really cool i really want to do it it's a lot all at once i'm not sure i can fully commit to all that i want to try taking a piece of it for example i'm doing uh the month of november without drinking so i'm taking a little mini piece of this and testing myself that way do you have a recommendation for people to dip their feet in like that? Or do you think you're going to be more successful if you do what you did and just say, I'm starting tomorrow, full stop? Cannonball in there. Do the whole thing. Well, look, you do any of these things um, habitually over any period of time, you're going to be better in some form or fashion. However try fitting all these things in together for 75 days straight and i think it creates a challenge that pays dividends further on in your life um so i'm not gonna dissuade anyone from you know picking one of these things and doing it for 75 days straight i think that's great I just think if you want a hard reset on everything you're doing and you want to challenge yourself and become a better person at the end of it, I would dive straight into this thing and do it. And take the timing aspect out of it. We touched on it earlier. There is no convenient time to do this. You're going to have to make sacrifices, whether it's weddings, birthday parties, going out, um, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, those are just roadblocks that you learn to get around so do so it on top of that you're about to you said there's a second phase of 75 hard you're about to start your second 75 hard are you going to add any other challenges in there um i do some things right now just to 
this kind of uh, re-energizes your your need to learn. You you're very curious after you start reading. Um, for some reason, it triggers in your brain. I want to learn more about this, this, and this. Um, so touched on a little bit French. I want to learn a bit a little bit of French. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I'm trying to become a more spiritual guy, so I read five pages of the Bible every mm-hmm. day. Um, and those two things kind of take up a little bit of time. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I read more than ten pages. Gotcha. Um, I read anywhere from twenty to thirty. Nice. A day. Wow. Very nice. Good things to add. Well, Jake, fantastic having you on. Yeah. Great conversation. Thanks for coming on the pod. We'll do it again, man. Sounds good. Pleasure talking to you guys.